Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. So what are we going to be talking about today? Well, considering it's our QPRI, I'm going to go on a limb and just like take a little guess and think it's the BRI. Yes. I do. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes. So with that, we do have a major announcement for y'all. So as much fun as we have had with this segment, just like we have said with our country analysis episode, Erica and I, after taking a good, long, hard look at the podcast, we feel as though it would be best if we were going down to just producing one episode a week for the time being, just because personally, I have so many things going on with school and my own independent research and research for faculty and extracurriculars and starting all of these other things too at school that I don't have the time to put in the most energy that we have been. And while we feel as though we still have been creating these great quality episodes, it's just not feasible to be operating at that level at this particular point in time. And while that makes me so sad that I can't be on that level for all of y'all. I do feel as though the best thing for us is to really just go forward with those one episodes a week and really continue to provide that great content analysis, open up a little bit more time so Erica and I can make those blog posts for everyone. And I mean, don't get me wrong, every once in a while, we will absolutely be dropping in a surprise bonus episode because we absolutely still want to be covering these topics. And the BRI is an important topic to cover. It's one of those things that I take a lot of interest in. You know, it has some of the best numbers on this podcast are our BRI episodes. And so Erica and I, we're not doing this because, yo, it's going to make it easier. It's going to just, we could throw our numbers around. This really was a hard decision for us to come to. And we do just want to continue to provide that caliber of quality content and episodes for y'all. So we really do hope that y'all are understanding and can respect our choice on this. Yeah, everything Hunter said, ditto. Um, But also I, one other thing is that, you know, this wasn't just like, we didn't just come to this decision within like a week or so. We have been thinking Mm -hmm. about this for a while, especially because we have been running this segment since October and we have really covered so many topics like we don't want to keep running it in circles for you guys either so we wanted to make sure we gave you like all the important information which I feel like we did and then some as well so Mm -hmm. we really truly feel like we've covered this segment fully of course the VRI you know like Hunter said it's a very big point in foreign policy so it will definitely come up in many future episodes, I'm sure. But like just a specialized segment, we've definitely given it like a thousand percent, not even a hundred, like literally a thousand. And so we're hoping that you guys are excited for the future of Hot Girl Briefing and where we take that, even though that this segment is coming to an end. Absolutely. And, you know, the BRI, it's still going to continue to evolve and there's still going to be updates coming from that. So like we said, there will definitely be those drop-in surprise episodes that we really want to give you guys. But as far as this goes, we are suspending the segment for at least the time being. You know, it might come back in the future. I would not be too upset about that because 
like we said, <laughs> God knows there's going to be some updates coming. So, well, unfortunately, the, the BRI doesn't work as fast as we do, Hunter. Exactly. So we feel up to this point that we've covered this topic pretty well. So this episode for a great send off to an awesome segment that I honestly take so much pride in. We really wanted to go through and just kind of give a recap of everything that we've talked about so far and kind of where we might expect the BRI to go in the future. Yeah. So let's kick it off and start talking about what we talked about in our very first Keep a BRI segment, which was the debt trap myth, which I feel like has been referenced so many times in other episodes that we've done. And this was from all the way back in October 2021, and it is now May 2022. So we and the BRI have come a long way since then. Mm-hmm. So just going based off of that, from that episode, what we really took away is that the debt trap, it is a myth that it's not what is ongoing in all of these BRI projects. You know, you always hear this talk of, oh my gosh, China, they're really going out. They're creating this almost like neo-colonialist pathway throughout the global South and the developing countries. And they're just going through and just carving it all up and really just taking it all for themselves. And we saw from that episode, that's really, that's not true. I mean, we've talked about Sri Lanka and that with the Hamantota port and really what that boiled down to was that Sri Lanka needed money to pay off loans that came from Western banking institutions. It didn't come from China. China was the one that was almost bailing them out. So with the debt trap, we kind of covered that it really is a myth. Yeah, I think so. It's funny when we look back at, you know, our sources for this episode, I was looking back at this one question, Hunter, and it goes, is the debt trap real? And then the answer that was put for it was in theory, yes, but in actuality, no. And I feel like that is okay. Like every answer that every answer that anyone who's taken like a communism theory class or like any (laughs) communist will say when you're like, is like, do communist countries like exist? And the answer is always like, in theory, communism exists, but like in actual practice, it doesn't. I feel like that is like the debt trap. It kind of is. I mean, like in theory, like it could be a thing. Don't get me wrong. It absolutely could be a thing. But is China currently engaging in a debt trap strategy? No, they're not. It's not happening. I mean, it's just not. You know, of course, this is an overview of everything we covered. So if you want more in-depth about this subject, well, we did an episode to cover it. So please yes, absolutely. Go listen feel, to it. Feel free to reference back to any of the episodes. I know the numbers on these episodes. So I know that not everybody that's been listening recently has listened to all of these older episodes. So if you are interested in any of these topics, definitely make sure to go and check back on them because they are filled with a lot more in-depth answers and really great information. All right. Well, we talked about the debt trap myth. So let's get on to our next one, which was Chinese private security firms, which was another oldie, but a goodie. Mm -hmm. This was definitely one of my favorite episodes at the time. I was so excited about this episode because it was really interesting because when you're thinking of Belt and Road projects, you're usually thinking of infrastructure. You're not really thinking of Chinese private security firms. Yet there's been a fair bit of research on Chinese private security firms and how exactly they impact countries. And so what we saw from this was that a lot of times these Chinese private security firms will be contracted to go and protect the assets that are being constructed or built or put in place in these host countries, just because 
you do need extra resources there to protect those. If you're building something that produces a ton of electricity or you're working on an oil well or something like that, then yeah, you're probably gonna need protection for that. If you're gonna go and open up a giant mine that you're gathering very expensive minerals from, you're probably gonna want some security for that. And Chinese private security firms, they're really an answer to the call here. Yeah, and I think the most surprising thing about that episode for me was the fact that a lot of these, a lot of our sources were about the Chinese security firms in Africa. Because I think when people think of the BRI, at least when we were first talking about it, you know, Africa wasn't like the main main place to think of with the BRI. But to hear about the information in regards to those security firms and how they were in protecting natural resources and mines in Africa was very fascinating, especially because it like makes sense, but just not mm-hmm. something you like outwardly think of. Like, of course, there's like Africa's rich, absolutely like loaded with like resource. They are resource so overload. densely rich. Yes. Yeah. So like, of course, if you're going to send like a security firm to like go protect resources, like duh, Africa, but I just don't think it's like something that is conventionally thought of. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but yeah, because I mean, a lot of people think, you know, Belt and Road, and they're just like, okay, cool, you know, it might go to some parts in Africa, but it's mostly, you know, around China's neighbors, and it's really integrating trade into those regional markets, and people aren't always thinking of Africa, and so I know, personally, I do think about Africa, but then again, I've been studying the BRI crazy heavily for the past few years now, so it kind of makes sense to me, but I know that when I was first engaging with this literature and this part of academia, I really wasn't thinking Africa was going to be a giant focus in the BRI. And like you said, Erica, it makes sense though. It makes total sense of why Africa makes sense for the BRI. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, let's, we, we've got a lot of topics to cover. If we're going to do a general mm-hmm. over like overview. So let's move into our next episode, which was the Djibouti base which mm-hmm. I found a, was a very fascinating episode. Maybe just because I find Djibouti like extremely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what we learned from this episode is that China was putting in a military base in Djibouti. It was their first overseas base. And, you know, bringing this back to Africa, Djibouti is right there. And the thing is though, everyone, there's kind of like this fear rhetoric that really goes on with the BRI. Oh God. It's, it's a debt trap. You're just going to have a country get almost a form of neocolonialism is going to be occurring from China engaging with these countries. Oh no, China's expanding this military base. And while yes, that is a big move in China's foreign policy, there were also how many other bases there, Erica? There was a base from, for example, the United States. There was a base there from Saudi Arabia. I mean, there's a ton of military bases in Djibouti. Well, yeah, and I think that is why maybe it kind of ruffled some feathers because I would, you know, the main bases that we talked about in our first episode was like United States, Japan, yeah. France, Italy, like definitely not exactly like China's like bestie when it comes to, you know, security defense policy. Mm-hmm. So for them to be creating not only just a base, but like their very first base, like I think they were being very intentional with where they decided to go. And it kind of like rubbed those other countries the wrong way, which like, you know, I see where they're coming from and I can see where it might be a threat, but yeah, you're I mean, absolutely it's... right. There's so many other countries there like that. Djibouti is basically like military central. 
yeah, it has Germany, Spain, Italy, France, the US, the UK, China, and Saudi Arabia. And so it's like, what? I understand. Yeah, it's a big move in China's foreign policy. Absolutely. And their national security strategy, it is absolutely a giant move. However, this like fear rhetoric that you hear going on, it, it doesn't really, it's not at the level that they're trying to make it, which that's one of the most frustrating things, especially when you're talking about foreign policy, is that you really want everyone to be really well informed. And so just because China is not in the United States military bloc and it's not in a military alliance with the US, it doesn't mean that it's automatically the worst thing ever and that it's just absolutely horrifying. It's just one of those things of where it really was a lot of fear rhetoric. And that was one of the biggest takeaways from this episode, I feel like. Absolutely. Definitely, I agree. I still still love Djibouti. Djibouti and Qatar, I don't know, something about those countries and all those military bases, they're like, mm-hmm. they make my interest. <laughs> but let's get on to our next topic, which would be who actually gets invested into the BRI? Mm-hmm. And so from this topic, we were talking about that the BRI, it really is a global initiative. It is, it's not just limited to Southeast Asia. It's not limited just to East Asia. It's not limited just to Africa. It's everywhere. It really goes, the BRI is global. It really is. We talked about it in our later episodes. It's in Latin America. It's in South America. It's in Southeast Asia. It's going through Europe in the East. It's going through Africa. It, it's going almost everywhere, kind of besides like North America, pretty much with the US and Canada. <laughs> yeah, literally but, everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, but otherwise, it really <laughs> is almost everywhere. I mean, there's definitely been some resistance from Western Europe and really, really close states that are there are very close traditionally with the United States. But otherwise, it really is global. China's becoming the new Mr. Worldwide. China is Mr. Uh, yeah, she, Xi Jinping is essentially Mr. Worldwide. I mean, like he's gone far and wide and he has there's a lot of Chinese influence and Chinese trade going on, especially with these infrastructure initiatives going on across the globe. Yeah, from our sources back then, there were about 142 countries Mm -hmm. that were part of the BRI, which mind boggling. And I mean, maybe there's more now. I mean, that was that was last year, end of 2021. Mm -hmm. So there could be a couple more. I mean, I do believe that there's another one or two at least. Yeah, I couldn't have changed that much. Like, like we said, it doesn't move as fast as us. But I remember, I remember us talking about the corridors that they had. There was like six corridors, which was like the new Eurasian land bridge, the China, Mm -hmm. Mongolia, Russia economic corridor, which I wonder how that's doing Mm -hmm. now that Russia's like, you know, invading Ukraine and that whole railroad situation that we talked about in the later BRI. Wonder Mm -hmm. how that's going. But yeah, all those economic corridors, all that insane amount. It's like a tree, like a rooted tree. Like the roots just like go really deep into the ground. Yeah, like it it really is everywhere. It's it's everywhere. It's insane. All righty. Well, our next episode was talking about what is actually getting invested into the BRI. Mm-hmm. So as we've talked about, it's definitely a lot of infrastructure. Don't get us wrong. But there's also a lot more than that. I mean, Xi Jinping, he was quoted saying that the policy really emphasizes policy, infrastructure, trade, financials, and people-to-people connectivity. So with that, there's education, there's cultural programs, there's lots of things like that. But then you still do have those traditional infrastructures, whether it's 
railways, whether it's pipelines, whether it is bridges, whether it's hydroelectric dams, whether it's solar plants, whether it's nuclear reactors, you know, there's a lot of things going on here. And so just to just to limit it just to infrastructure, it's just not, it's not fully fair to just confine it to that. Because there is also the Health Silk Road and there is the Digital Silk Road. So there's a lot of different things that are going on throughout there. I mean, the sectors that we talked about in that episode, it went from government to transport, to extraction and pipelines, to manufacturing, to agriculture and food, to other construction, to power, to telecom, or to multi-sector and discretionary. So that episode really touched on a lot of different things that were going on within the Belt and Road. Yeah. And not to like bring my corporate lingo into the podcast, but like, (laughs) I think that with the BRI, there's just like a lot of moving parts. (laughs) So yes. I would say that I agree with you, Hunter. There's absolutely like, there's no way to just like kind of section off like what the BRI is doing. It's just really doing everything, everything and anything Mm -hmm. all at once. But I would say like a key, like a major key, major key, DJ Khaled, major key key focus of the BRI would definitely have to be that transportation sector. Like our sources back it up, the way we've talked about the BRI, like, Transportation was definitely like a major key for China. That was like mm-hmm. a num- like a huge priority on top of everything else they were doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Transport. And then the second highest being power, because those are some of the oh, really yeah. big things because the Belt and Road, it's really, it is a global foreign policy, but it really does out of those five things that Xi Jinping was talking about, you know, policy, infrastructure, trade, financial, and people to people connectivity. All five of those touch heavily on transport and power, because if you don't have a transport capability, you're not going to be able to have that people-to-people connectivity. You're not going to be able to have as good of trade. You're not going to be able to have great infrastructure. You need good infrastructure for the transport. You need policy that's really going to back up that transport. So like we just said, I mean, Erica, you had it right. You hit the nail right on the head. Transport is one of the biggest parts of the Belt and Road. It's definitely a big focus there. Yeah. Well, we talked a, a lot about, you know, the great things that the BRI was doing, but mm-hmm. it didn't, it didn't get, you know, so far without a scandal here or two, here or mm-hmm. there, sorry. So our next topic we talked about was Evergrande, mm-hmm. a little bit of a scandal, a little bit of a hot topic in the BRI section, doo-doo. Just a-, a little bit of a, a debt problem, um, mm-hmm. a money mismanagement, if you will. Yeah. And so what we really focused on this episode was how domestic policy, how it impacts the Belt and Road Initiative. When you have all of these problems going on domestically and you have a lot of money that needs to be spent on domestic problems, you don't have as much money to help and invest in the Belt and Road Initiative. You don't have as much money to go and put into your foreign policies. You need to spend it domestically. And so that was one of the biggest focuses of this episode. Well, the craziest thing to me is that like, you know, they have all these debt issues from buying all this property. And I don't know how many people of our listeners are familiar with like the American housing market, but as somebody who kind of works in that realm, I've seen like the county records and the Chinese firms are like buying up the property in America. And I know that the United States isn't a part of the BRI yet, maybe, who knows? We could, we would definitely have to do a bonus episode if that ever happened, Hunter. Mm -hmm. But like, how are they affording? Like, I still, I asked this question back then and I, Ask it again, like how are they affording to buy all these like different properties when we have this issue of like 
the debt that a lot of these, and they're not just like small firms, they're like huge firms. And they're in like millions and millions, I think even mm-hmm. a few billions in debt. And it's like, how do you even, how do you even buy more? Well, I mean, part of that is because, you know, there are some of these firms that are state-owned enterprises. And so when you have that, you have financial backing from the government. So that's one of the biggest ways. I mean, state-owned enterprises, it's, it's a really big thing in China and it really helps them blast their economy. And it really, I mean, it's a really important sector for the Chinese economy are these state-owned enterprises. They're some of the biggest companies in China. Unfair. I deserve a state-owned enterprise. I want to rack up <laughs> credit card debt and have it like covered, but I get it. You know, they get to take a bit more risks and, you know, more risk, more reward. So yeah, I see what you're saying. I still just, I don't, I don't agree with it, but maybe mm-hmm. it's just my jealousy. Moving on to the EU component episode. What we really talked about there, we talked about the European Union and it was so surprising to see how, how polarized different parts of Europe were and how exactly they were going forward with a cohesive China strategy. That it really is hard to get common agreement with them when you have countries that are extremely anti-China investment and you have some that are extremely pro-China investment. Yeah, well, I remember we talked about a different episode. It was actually like Greece that had the Porta Piraeus mm-hmm. that was like super invested into the BRI segment. So like Greece is all for it. But, you know, like you said, other parts of Europe weren't such a fan. And weren't they working on their own like plan to kind of rival the BRI? Yeah. So the EU is actually working on the Global Gateway, which was, you know, built to essentially be a, hey, maybe if you don't like this one, then you can do this one. And it's still a global development strategy. And we hit on a lot of the same things that they do. So if you don't like them and their terms, you can come over to us and have our terms. Yeah. So I think the Global Gateway wasn't as developed as the BRI has been. So Mm -hmm. it definitely hasn't shown the potential, I think, to seriously rival the BRI. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very new still. So we're not seeing a ton of information out of that one yet. You know, they they saw China's idea and they were like, you know what? I can do that, but I can do it (laughs) better, actually. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, yeah. So then moving into our next episode with the Porta Piraeus for an example of one of those big European infrastructure projects, the Porta Piraeus it's mostly owned by a Chinese company. And so this is Chinese ownership of a European port. And that, that was a big deal for Europe. And Greece, Greece seems to be like, it seems to be working out all right for, between the two countries. So it's one of those things of where local workers, they were having problems with this. But overall, you were seeing Greece kind of really liking to engage with China in this manner. Yeah, Greece was like, they were a straight up stand, which like, I get it. Like China was doing a lot for the port of Piraeus. They were bringing a lot of business. They were bringing a lot of infrastructure, like making serious moves in Greece and their potential for what's it, uh, subsidies, like economic returns. Like mm-hmm. I, I know just, I just know that Greece had like dollar signs in their eyes when they were watching China make all that work in mm-hmm. around the port of Piraeus. Yeah. So then moving on, you have our next episode, which was Burkina Faso and the Taiwan issue. And so what we really learned from this episode is that it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that China's really, really big on the one China principle. If you don't adhere to that, then you don't necessarily get that engagement from China. So for those of you that aren't fully remembering what exactly the one China principle is, essentially what it is, is Taiwan and China 
they have been going at it. Taiwan was originally the OG China, and it was recognized at the UN. There, all the other countries were recognizing it as China. And then over time, mainland China, the People's Republic of China, the PRC, that ended up becoming the newly recognized China. And then Taiwan was no longer recognized as OG China. And so essentially what happened is that China is like, hey, Taiwan, you're still part of us. You are, you are part of China. You are essentially a runaway province, but you are still part of China. And Taiwan's like, whoa, 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 we don't want to do that. So Taiwan is essentially fighting to try and be recognized as its own country. However, mainland China has a lot of influence in today's society. And so China is going through and it's making sure that if any of these countries want BRI investment, if they want China to engage with them, they have to adhere to this and they have to recognize China as being the only China. There's only one China, hence the one China principle. Taiwan and China, they, they have complicated history. They're like, it, it's they're a like toxic exes. Right there. <laughs> they're just toxic exes. Like China's like, come back. Mainland China's like, come back to me, baby. And Taiwan's like, no, you Taiwan's are. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Were... I'm doing my own thing now. Stop. Yeah. They're like, I'm flourishing and thriving without you. And China's like, you can't flourish without me. Come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so then just getting quickly into our next episode, the main overview of our Kiva BRI getting railroaded episode was that China is going hard for these railroads. They are like, hey, guess what? It's one of the best things out there. Guess what we're going to give you? Railroads. Railroad <laughs> investment. Because railroads, they're super good with trade. They make everything quicker. It's less costly to send something on a train than it is to ship them at times because you don't have to go all the way across the world. You can just go straight through on the land. So you don't have to go all through the water. And so this is, it's one of the big infrastructure investments and transport investments that China gets into. And like you were just saying, Erica, China loves transport for one of their sectors. Supply chain who, or supply chain issues who? Uh, couldn't, couldn't catch a train stuck in the Suez Canal. Like they... Mm-hmm are focusing on these trains. And I remember it was a huge thing for this episode because the Russia-Ukraine episode, or war was going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, China was really relying on Russia and, you know, Poland. And then Russia kind of just like, basically was like, you know what? No, I'm not mm-hmm. gonna, I'm just gonna ruin everything you've been working for with your Eurasian yeah. War- railway dreams. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was one of the biggest things about this episode was that it was right as the Russia-Ukraine conflict was really ramping up. And that was where it was like, okay, yo, 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 there's going to be some restrictions coming in on Russia. There's going to be bad things here. China, you're not going to really be able to go and have all this trade going through Russia. And so it was one of those really big issues because this was really big for China and they were really planning on having this be a big part of their strategy, especially with Europe. So that definitely put a damper on that. I just wish I could have seen President Xi Jinping's face when he found out what Russia did. Oh, I would have been, I would have paid good money. I mean, if I were him, I would be so upset. This is really going into one of those big problems of where it's like, hey, now you're not only messing it up for yourself, you're messing it up for all of us too. Yep. Well, that was, that was, that was pretty crazy episode. Honestly, y'all should definitely, if you're going to listen to any of these, I would recommend that. So I think that one was one of our favorite episodes. Or maybe Latin America. I don't know. You guys know that I have a soft spot for Latin America. But getting into our next topic, we're talking about China's lending style, which also another one of my favorites because, y'all, I work for a lender. So this one was kind of feeling a bit like work. 
Mm-hmm. But like yeah. in a hot girl breathing sense. So I liked it. Okay, so Erica, do you want to go in just kind of a tad bit of what what did we really cover in this episode? What what were the most important takeaways? Yeah, I think the most important takeaway for sure was the fact like overall China loans like a commercial bank. Like, mm-hmm. you know, your Chase, your Fifth Third, your PNC, Capital One, all those commercial banks, that's how China's operating. And in our episode, we definitely got in with like the nitty gritty, but I think one of the more important sections we talked about was the fact that China was, you know, they used to give out grants and they don't do it as much as they used to. They were doing mm-hmm. third party grants, but they were kind of like not, not as part of the Paris club, which was kind of a big contentious point. And at one point I remember the UN like acted as like a third party, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, Hunter. And, you know, when they're doing these loans, they are kind of like targeting Targeting is maybe a bad word. That's a strong word, but they are looking towards like lower middle income countries. Like that is kind of their focus. That's who they're trying to give their loans to. And they're giving like good deals. Like they are, they are pretty competitive and it's pretty lucrative for not only the countries that are taking it or getting the loan, but also for China, because again, mm-hmm. they're building that soft power. They're getting that influence and both parties are kind of benefiting. So definitely go listen to the episode. There were some funny tidbits from me and Hunter, but yeah, that was China's lending style. And then Hunter, if you want to introduce our next one. Absolutely. So our next one is Erica's favorite episode. It was Keep It BRI, Latin America. And then we focused on this one specifically on the digital Silk Road. Yeah. I mean, like we mentioned TikTok in here. I love TikTok. Mexico, Mm -hmm. I'm Mexican. Like this was, this was my episode. And so basically, you know, in Latin America, they were kind of doing like an extension of like the digital Silk Road. I think they called it the information Silk Road. And it was like China launching all of these like projects in the tech sector, like in Latin America before the, you know, digital Silk Road was even really launched. And it really played a role in Mexico because it helped Mexico build like the largest public Wi-Fi network in Latin America, which Mm -hmm. is like crazy. And we had all these like different tech companies coming in, trying to get into the e-commerce sector and just really take advantage of, I would say like Latin America isn't the most like technologically developed as the other areas of the world. So they were, China was really trying to take advantage of that and get in there, get in there first too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were like, Hey, guess what? We know what you need. We can offer it to you with great terms and it'll be great for everybody. And Latin America was like, yes, they ate it up. Yeah. And then the United States was like, no. Yes. The U.S. was like, absolutely not. No, no, no. But Latin America was like, but like, we want it and it's good. So like, why would we say no? And so, I mean, that's why you kept on seeing a lot more of that Chinese investment in Latin America, because it makes sense. It makes sense. It's what they wanted. It's what they needed. And it was for good terms for them. Yeah. China was definitely giving the people what they want in Latin America. And the United States was just taking it as a big stink. Like I swear, the United States was acting like China just slapping them in the face, which like maybe that was China's goal. I don't know. But China was with Latin America. Latin America was loving it. Latin America developed a lot with that. And we love to see global development. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. And then speaking of global development, our next and our last episode was our Keep It BRI on renewable energy and a green girl summer. So we love a green girl summer. We love a, you know, we love a hot girl summer as well. However, a green girl summer is what we need 
right now in terms of climate change. It's what we need. And so one of the biggest things we covered in this whole podcast episode was that China's really going and shifting its focus on how exactly they're committing to energy infrastructure abroad. We saw China say that they were denouncing coal power plants, that they were pledging to no longer build them abroad, but they were still building them domestically. They haven't stopped that yet, but they said, we will not be building any abroad. And instead, that means that they're moving and shifting towards a greener and more renewable and sustainable energy infrastructure that they're offering to other countries. So we saw this take place in various countries all across the globe. We saw this in the Middle East. We saw this in Latin America. We saw this in South America. We're seeing a lot of these things go on, whether it's a wind farm, whether it's a solar farm, there's lots of stuff going on here. Yeah. And didn't we even talk a little bit about nuclear energy in this episode as well? Yes, we did. And I mean, China, they're number two for nuclear generation right behind the U.S. They had surpassed France in 2021. Like, that's coming straight from this episode. And so there's a lot of really interesting information in here. And we know that y'all love this episode because this has our highest numbers to date per an episode. So thank y'all so much for loving this episode because honestly, I think that this was my favorite episode besides the debt trap myth, because I do think that that's really important to be giving correct information out there concerning foreign policies and policies from other actors across the globe and not just only knowing the truth about American policies. But I think that this was definitely one of, if not my favorite episodes to date, not only in this segment, but in the whole podcast. I really did love this episode. I don't know about the podcast for me, Hunter. Like some of our (laughs) topics, like they, they were crazy and I love them. Like our, our episode with Professor Kubitschek, Oh, listen, love it. Love (laughs) all of our episodes with Professor (laughs) Kubitschek, an esteemed guest of the pod. Yeah. So, you know, I I don't think I could pick a favorite of the podcast. Listen, hey, 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 I didn't say it was my favorite. I said it was definitely one of my favorites now. Okay. 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 Well, that was our most recent and latest and last VRI segment that we will do, unless we give you guys a bonus episode. Mm, Never say never. Just maybe. Never, you know, <laughs> like, like the wise Justin Bieber said. Anyways, mm-hmm. though, <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed this recap. Um, it was definitely a super fun segment for me, even more fun for Hunter, who mm-hmm. eats this up. He just <laughs> gobbles it. So. I do. I do. I love this. I think it's some of the best foreign policy <laughs> research to do these days. I really, I just geek out about it, but. I mean, clearly our listeners agree. We had some of our best numbers on these episodes, just like you said, and we are sad to see the segment go, but we can't wait to wait and see what happens with the BRI <laughs> next. Yes. So we will be waiting and seeing on the BRI. We will be waiting and seeing on the segment, but what we can't wait and see about is seeing all of y'all on Monday for our next episode. We do know that we are clearly going through a transition at Hot Girl Briefing of our episodes. So we didn't want to just cut y'all off cold turkey. So don't you worry. Next week, we will be giving a part one and part two episode releasing on Monday and Thursday. What it is, y'all have to tune in and find out on that one though. I'm excited though. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I'm pumped about it. (laughs) Me too. Well, I think that's all we have. Thank you guys so much for the love on this segment. And we hope you continue that with all of our future episodes and potential segments to come. 
Mm -hmm. So thanks so much, everybody. And we really hope you enjoyed this segment. Like I said, it was a lot. This was a this was labor of love. And as much as I really do love this segment, and as much as I am sad to see it go, I do think that we did a great job on this segment. And I can tell that y'all did too, because like we've said, we've definitely had some of our best numbers on these episodes. So we hope that y'all keep up that energy in the future. But with that, thank you all so much. And we'll see you on Monday. Bye. Bye.